Hello, and welcome to the Being Well podcast. I'm Forrest Hansen. Last week, we began the strength of generosity with a discussion of everyday giving, recognizing and valuing the many small ways that we give to others and they give to us. Today, we're continuing generosity by focusing on one of the most important and most challenging ways we can give to other people, forgiveness. Let's say someone truly mistreated you or made a serious mistake. After you deal with the consequences and assert yourself as you judge best, then what? When it feels right, there's truly a generosity to forgiving someone else, which is often also a kindness to yourself. To help us explore the nuances of this often tricky topic, I'm joined by Dr. Rick Hansen. So to help frame our conversation in the book Resilient, you suggested that there are two different kinds of forgiveness. Uh, What are those, and could you explain how they differ? There's first the classic form of forgiveness in which we give someone a full pardon. Mm -hmm. And that kind of forgiveness wipes the slate clean, lets the person start fresh, uh, does not pursue any kind of justice, and often opens the door to a full restoration of relationship. That's, That's a very beautiful and important kind of forgiveness. On the other hand, that's a high bar sometimes for people, or it's a high bar at some point in the process of forgiveness. That's where I think the second form of forgiveness comes in, and I call it disentangled forgiveness, Mm -hmm. because you're just disentangling yourself from the person. It may still upset you when you think about them, but you're not preoccupied any longer. You've disentangled yourself. Mm -hmm. You may still be pursuing justice, including punishment for them, or some kind of recompense for yourself, but you don't do it with ill will in your heart. Mm -hmm. You may never, ever, ever want to see them again or do business with them again or sleep with them again. On the other hand, you're not caught up in vengeful fantasies. You're not preoccupied with resentment. And that's a really interesting territory to explore. How do we disentangle ourselves uh, even if we're not yet ready for a full pardon? Yeah, makes total sense. I mean, I think that Often in these podcasts, we sort of start with the benefits that we Mm -hmm. receive from doing something, and we can get into that in a moment. But I actually wanted to start with kind of the other side of the coin here Mm -hmm. and kind of devil's advocate you maybe a little bit, because I think that there are a lot of natural objections to Mm -hmm. forgiveness. I mean, particularly in the territory of people who have experienced, you know, this is a little bit of a trigger warning for anyone listening to the podcast who Mm -hmm. might have some difficult territory here. But for anyone who's experienced like a truly traumatic event in their life, yeah, whether that be something that was physically abusive mm-hmm. or psycho-emotionally abusive, there are certainly people that I can imagine just never, ever wanting to forgive. Yep. So I understand sort of a full pardon fairly mm-hmm. intuitively and the, the kinds of people that I would extend a full pardon to. Somebody close to you where you really want to repair that relationship with them, an important family member, something like that. So I think that the area of disentangled forgiveness particularly when dealing with those truly challenging people and situations, is kind of the most nuanced and Mm -hmm. tricky. So I think it makes sense for us to spend some time there. Yeah. So there's an implication that you're forgiving someone, even if you think that they really did something wrong Mm -hmm. in disentangled forgiveness. You're not Mm -hmm. not saying that they didn't do something wrong. You're saying that they did, but I'm going to forgive you anyways. So what's kind of the value in this? Why should I offer somebody forgiveness if I really think that they did something horrible? Right. I think what you're bringing up here, Forrest, is extremely important and actually completely necessary Mm -hmm. to any authentic, lasting forgiveness. Yeah. So a few points here. First off, 
there's certain things that we say in this podcast uh, or in the book Resilient or in its underlying basis in the online Foundations of Wellbeing program. There's certain things we say that are prescriptive, mm-hmm. like be mindful. I think we're prepared to say that in a prescriptive way, or where we say grow inner strengths because that's what you need for resilient well-being over Mm -hmm. the long haul. Mm -hmm. Forgiveness is not something that we're saying prescriptively. Mm -hmm. We're not saying you should forgive. We're more exploring it as an opportunity, as an offering, and a, a real see for yourself. Second, this is really important because I think many times people forgive too soon, Mm. or they're pushed into forgiveness by other people when in fact they're not ready to forgive, or what happened was perhaps even unforgivable. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is especially true for people who belong to any class of people that are systematically or as a generalization told to put their feelings aside or that how it is to be them is second class compared to how it is to be a different person or that they should really live uh, for the sake of others and not for themselves. Um, Classically, as a generalization, women tend to fall into that category. And uh, I'm especially careful about encouraging um, people who've been systematically mistreated to forgive their oppressors. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're really staying far, far away from that. That's really right. Last thing is, Let's suppose somebody, something happens and uh, you are, let's say, yourself, you're, you, to keep it simple, you're walking through a crosswalk uh, and someone who got drunk uh, swerves in traffic and hits you and breaks your leg and creates a lot of complications for you mm-hmm. along the way, let alone someone does that and really, really harms another person. Because part of forgiveness is, a, is altruistic in a mm. sense that, or it's engaged because we're, we're angry at people let's say, because of what they do to others, not just what they do to ourselves. All right. So at some, early on in the process, there you are lying on the street, bleeding in an agonizing pain, waiting for the ambulance come. And the person rushes over to you, the drunk driver, and says, oh, could you forgive me? I'm so sorry. You know, of course not. You're not ready to forgive them, probably, unless you're sort of a saint. And I don't even know if you could do it on the spot as a saint. So there's a time course to forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And the same way, as we unpack things that happened to us in childhood, we start getting some distance from layers of them. And we move to a kind of inner peace about the more superficial aspects of what happened. And then later, often, we're kind of surprised by what bubbles up, a deeper grievance or a deeper uh, feeling of being legitimately appalled at what happened to us as we understand it more deeply. And then that becomes the next thing that gets surfaced and is maybe appropriate to forgive. So you don't want to push yourself faster than you're ready to go. Mm -hmm. You're already speaking to some of the kind of elements of disentangling and the, the things that need to be present in order for us to disentangle. And I think that just as a macro summation of sort of what you're saying, part of the goal of disentangled forgiveness is to offer something to another person. But a lot of it is what you're offering to yourself. Yes. That really your goal is not so much to quote unquote forgive somebody for what they've done. It's instead to kind of create the space inside of ourselves to heal and live to the fullest and have our happiest life possible from this moment forward, which is something that has become a bit of a running theme inside of the podcast. It's what do you do from now on? Yeah. So the bad thing happened. How do you minimize your suffering from here? Yeah. And one of the ways to kind of minimize the the second darts, so to speak, mm. of psycho-emotional suffering, yeah. 
that came from an event is to try to create a disentangled forgiveness with somebody else. So with that as a little bit of context, yeah. um, you already named one thing that helps us move into that disentangled forgiveness with another person. That's the time being ripe for it. Oh, okay. Are there other things that need to be present in order for us to move into disentangled forgiveness? Well, it's great that you called that one out, mm-hmm. the time needing to be ripe. And a second one is the truth needs to be told mm. for sure to yourself. And that's a very important stage to really name what happened, to frame it in a values structure in terms of how wrong was it according to you. And you get to decide ultimately, fundamentally, how wrong it was as far as you see it. And another aspect of uh, telling the truth is to really accept and experience and name to yourself, hopefully with kindness and compassion for yourself, the consequences for you, Mm. the impacts, how bad it has felt, really open to that. Paradoxically, by fully opening to what you have every right in the world to be aggrieved about, you can then more readily move into forgiveness. So that's minimally to yourself, telling the truth to yourself. It also can really help to tell the truth to um, other people, not Mm -hmm. the person who did it to you, let's say, but to allies. Your therapist, your friend, your dog. Dogs can be wonderful to talk about your grievances with. Say what happened. Write a letter even that you won't ever send or just kind of be on record that you at least have expressed what really happened. And then sometimes, if it's appropriate, and it's not always possible or safe, sometimes the people that have mistreated you are no longer alive or they're Mm -hmm. unreachable. Uh, But if you have the opportunity to look the person in the eye and name it, it doesn't mean they have to agree with you. They often won't. They'll Mm -hmm. often sputter and fire back and blame you and make up excuses and be seriously annoying. But in your heart, if it's appropriate, you can know that you spoke truth to power, as is said. You you called it, you said it. And it's interesting, forever after, no matter what they do, no matter how they spin it, no matter how, how what kind of whining they do about it, um, you know that they know that you know that they heard you. Yeah, it feels like the major emphasis there is not necessarily so much convincing somebody that what they did was wrong. Yeah. But instead... Which gives them power. Yeah, absolutely. Because they get to decide whether or not they agree with you fundamentally. Like something we've talked about extensively previously is this idea that ultimately in most of our relationships, we don't actually have the power to make other people do things. So we can't make somebody agree with us that they did something bad to us. But what we can do is try to achieve a sense of closure inside of our own mind. And as you were saying, knowing that we spoke truth to power in the moment of it. To return to something you were saying a little bit earlier about kind of knowing for yourself what really happened, part of that fact-finding mission is creating some kind of a coherent narrative, I think. And we've talked about this in the past, the idea of creating a coherent narrative of our childhoods. Well, that's great that you're pulling this into forgiveness. Yeah, and the kind of like things that happen to us so we can become more organized about our kind of psycho-emotional history and things like that. Yeah, I think the same thing happens with forgiving people, um, particularly, frankly, with events that were somewhat traumatic in nature and occurred early in life, yeah. where a lot of the time people have sort of these jumbled memories of some traumatic experience. And it takes, you know, a little bit of talking to people and digging and kind of finding out for yourself to sort of create the story of what actually happened. 
And then in the moment of really understanding what actually happened, it becomes mm-hmm. possible to take a more effective action around it. Yeah. Well, that's so interesting. That's yeah. great. There, it, it's like a meaning making. And mm. uh, here's a weird example of it. Sure. Often I'll be talking with adults who will be describing their childhood. I mm. had this conversation with someone really recently, for example. And matter of factly, the adult will say, well, this and this and this happened to me when I was a kid, or my dad did this, or my mom did that. And one of the ways that I find is really helpful to communicate about it is when I say back to them, well, I hear that you're sort of shrugging it off, Mm -hmm. or I hear that you're explaining or justifying why your parents did that and quote unquote, they did the best they could. But I'm just telling you right now, legally, in all 50 states in America, anyone who's a mandated reporter like me as a licensed psychologist would have to pick up the phone and call Child Protective Services after you walk out of the office. Mm. If, if it had come to my attention or a school teacher or a nurse or a physician mm-hmm. or a therapist that that happened to you when you were seven years old or 17 years old, they would have to call the legal authorities. Mm. It's that significant. And you'll just, I'll see sometimes people's eyes widen when they really kind of get the framing uh, of what happened to them. And that's, that's an aspect of telling the truth. And it's, it's not about wallowing, quote unquote, or playing the victim. It's about honoring the fact of what actually happened to you mm-hmm. and putting it in pro- proportional perspective. Mm-hmm. There's something powerful about that. And then I want to say one last little thing that's really occurring to me before I forget it. It's that just because you've forgiven someone, that itself does not necessarily mean that you won't feel hurt and upset the next time you think about them. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes we get we totally. think that forgiveness is some sort of magic pill. Yeah. That if we take it, it just means we're we're never bothered by that again. Mm-hmm. And um, or, or we doubt that the forgiveness is real mm. when the next time we think about that person... We're still bothered by yeah, it. Yeah, or we feel really hurt or mm-hmm. there's something unfulfilled there. We really wish we could connect with them in a different, you know, again. And no, just because understandably the first start of being upset about something when you think about it, just because that lands inside your own mind when you bring that person back into awareness does not itself mean that you haven't fully forgiven them. Yeah, I think that's really fantastic. As a final kind of prerequisite for disentangled forgiveness, one of the presumptions of this whole process of moving into disentangled is that we recognize those things that we were talking about earlier, in particular, how forgiveness can be sort of a balm to our own wounds. Mm. I think that we can all have examples inside of our own minds of times where we've been really resentful about something or really bitter about something and maybe clung to that bitterness a little bit longer than we actually needed to. And I would say that, you know, 99 times out of 100, if not 100 times out of 100, that feeling of clinging actually just perpetuates our suffering Hmm. instead of allowing us to kind of release it on down the river. So I think that is a really important part of the whole process. Yeah. So let's say that those three sort of environmental prerequisites have been met, Mm -hmm. and we want to extend disentangled forgiveness to somebody. We want to pull ourselves out of that fire, but we're just having a hard time doing so. I've certainly been in plenty of situations where I felt that I should forgive somebody else for something, or I should, you know, quote unquote, just move on, but I'm having a really hard time with that. What are some of the suggestions that you would extend to somebody? 
First, I would emphasize the word disentangle. So if this were a word cloud with two words in it, disentangled and forgiveness, I would make disentangled about four times bigger sure, than the yeah, word forgiveness. Totally. Because it's the crux of the matter. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's in that frame then that I want to make some points of emphasis. So the first fundamental condition for dis- disentangled forgiveness is choosing to disentangle yourself to recognize the cost to you of being caught up in resentment and vengeful fantasies and a preoccupation with the wound. And so it's based on that that you, and you might also recognize the cost to other people around you, the awkwardness, the issues with concerned third parties and so on. So based on an appraisal of all that, you decide, you know, I want to lay this hot stone down. I never want to see that person again, but I just want to get out of the war with them. We're caught up here in this cyclical Hatfield and McCoy vicious cycle of vendetta. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And so you decide for yourself, you just don't want to do it for you, fundamentally. That's deeply, deeply important. Second is to really honestly recognize the payoffs, uh, the ways in which uh, it feels good to be resentful. It feels good to fantasize about justice finally being served. It feels good to get caught up in, well, well, maybe someday they'll see the light and they'll realize how bad they really were mm-hmm. and how that one word they said at that event was just the worst thing in the world. You know, we get caught up in all that and their gratifications and those fantasies and their payoffs. Sometimes their payoffs with other people in which we get other people revved up mm-hmm. uh, in our cause. So that's the second thing, I think, that's really useful. And then another thing is to be aware of what could be called generally ill will, where there's a distinction between a sense of what's appropriate justice, Mm. even with a feeling of, of fieriness about it. That's really distinct from sadism or being really mean to people or shaming toward them or scorning or disdainful or contemptuous or wanting to tear them down Mm -hmm. and being clear in yourself between the difference, recognizing that you can stand in the truth that you know of what really happened and you can forgive the cliches, but you can stand in your own power. You can be centered and fearless in your own power. That is all different from being caught up in sadistic, mean, destructive fantasies about other people. And I think that that's really a point of emphasis throughout this whole process of disentangled forgiveness that we're talking about. And it returns to what you said at the very beginning, which is a few things. First of all, there are some things that are kind of fundamentally unforgivable. And even this idea of just kind of disentangling is for those things, even a challenge. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they've become part of the, of the yarn ball, if you will, of your experience and who you are at a certain point. So it's very challenging to disentangle from them. But that idea for things that are a little bit more appropriate, where we can still, to use the, the legal language, prosecute somebody to the mm-hmm. fullest extent of the law, while not kind of having the hot stone in our hands burning us while it's going on. So the ways that we can create that kind of psycho-emotional separation that sort of buffer us from the negative experience that we're having with somebody else. So that's really the point of emphasis. And so I think that it's it's a great point that you brought it up there. Yeah. We've quoted this before, this saying, I think, from the, from early Buddhism, that getting caught up in ill will against others, to paraphrase, is like throwing a hot a coal with bare hands. Mm-hmm. Both people get burned. 
Yeah. And so being aware of how it burns you to be caught up in all this. Another saying from Alcoholics Anonymous, I believe, that we've quoted before, resentment is like taking poison and then waiting for others to die. Mm. You're the one who's really being harmed by this. I would just say the last thing that I've seen that's really important for people is to know what you're going to do. Mm. Uh, Know what your plan is about that person. Are you going to call the police? Are you going to consult with a lawyer? Are you going to file a grievance with the labor commissioner? I did that one time. Are you going to make an ethics complaint to the hospital or to the board of psychology? Uh, What are you going to do? Are you going to write the person a letter in which you say how you see it and then disengage forever after? Are you going to unfriend them from your Facebook feed? What are you going to do? (laughs) And knowing what you're going to do and deciding for yourself what you're going to do and feeling like an agent, that you're not helpless in the sense of agency, feeling that you're a cause, you're not at effect. There are things that you're going to do. What are you also going to do to repair your own life? All right, they scored one on you. Part of what makes it hard to forgive what happened is we get scored on, in effect, by another person who cheated and then did something to us. Uh, And we can't do anything to them, but you know what? We can do something for ourselves. We can repair ourselves. We can go see a doctor. We can mend the fence that they broke. Uh, We can take our car into the shop and get it fixed, even if they'll never pay for the repair. Uh, We know what we're going to do. And that actually, in a weird kind of way, helps us let go disengage and move on great makes total sense so that's disentangled forgiveness Mm -hmm. as a whole category now we're going to kind of move into a conversation focused more on full pardon forgiveness for me i think that one of the kind of inherent trickinesses around full pardon forgiveness is knowing when it's appropriate to extend Mm -hmm. a full pardon to somebody else and most of the time i think that this is kind of intuitive like we we know whether or not it feels right and makes sense inside of ourselves to fully forgive somebody. Maybe the offense wasn't actually that bad. Or maybe they've really made the full mea culpa and it makes sense to be like, okay, man, this time, sure, but next time we're going to have a problem. Or maybe you just have a very profound relationship with this person. And even if you feel really hurt by what happened for you know, the the greater good of your future relationship with them, the many years ahead, it makes sense to kind of take a deep breath and sort of do the thing. But I can imagine many more fringe cases where it's sort of tough to know whether or not that's appropriate. I mean, I think that a lot of people often feel like they should be hurt by something, so they go on being hurt by it. Mm. So just as kind of a framing thought, I'm wondering if you have any suggestions or ideas related to knowing when it's appropriate to move from disentangled forgiveness into a real full pardon with someone else. I really wish that I had some kind of clever formula for this. Yeah. And as you know, I'm big on clever formulas or kind of three-point plans. And and I think there's something about this one that's more soulful and, and also very concrete. And I'll give you an example of it. Imagine how you'd feel if you ran into the person in question at the airport mm. or walking down a street, you you turn a corner. This is someone you've disentangled from, but not yet moved to a full pardon. And there they are. And the question is, do you want to remain in a position in this concrete example in which you look at them, you may nod or you stare at them in a steely way, or maybe there's a quick little shake of your head like, 
Or you make a little sound, I'll make it again a little louder. <sighs> right? And then you keep on going. All right. Let's call that the territory kind of of disentangled forgiveness. You're you're not going to be preoccupied with them a hundred steps later. Mm. But still, in that encounter, there's a certain, are you kidding me? And you move on. On the other hand, in a full pardon, there's no bracing or guarding against that person. Your heart is utterly open. You're not caught up in your, your view uh, of, of them. They're not aversive to you. Maybe that's the simplest way to put it. You don't have a sense of aversion mm. to someone that you've given a full pardon to. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like, well, what do you want? How do you want it to be if you run into them on the street mm -hmm. or in the airport? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it may be that you think, yeah, I want them to know every time they see me that my face is saying you're a jerk, but whatever. Uh, okay, fine. On the other hand, maybe you'd really just like the utter freedom of love, really and open-heartedness that is implicit in a full part. That's, that's, I think, one piece of it. I, maybe another piece that really stands out for me is you learn things about the other person. Mm -hmm. That's another thing that starts to happen that put it all in greater context. You learn that they were abused themselves as a child. Mm. And after a while, you just kind of get, you know, I get some of what led you to do what you do, and I have more of a sense of you uh, which goes to one of the major ways to help yourself move into a full pardon, which is to see them as a whole person, be aware of their vulnerability, their suffering. And one of the things that uh, we could we could talk about about all this is that to give people a full pardon, it really helps if they've done their work. Mm. That's true. It's not necessary, I think, for a full pardon. Uh, we can give full pardons to people who really haven't done their work and still think they didn't do anything wrong and are still coming at us, trying to hurt us, or those we care about. Um, that's a lot harder, though. It's a lot easier to give someone a full pardon who has really faced up to the wrongs yeah, that they did totally. and confessed them. So maybe we learn over time that this person really has turned over a new leaf. They're, they're, there's been a real change of heart. They served their sentence. They did their time. They paid their debt. They've really been transformed by it. And even they're asking for our forgiveness. That too can be a factor in moving to a full pardon. Mm -hmm. Where especially when we feel that they're that they are very sincere and and humble in the request for a full pardon. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something kind of implicit in this whole conversation, and particularly in that concept that you were saying a second ago about sort of seeing the whole person, mm -hmm. seeing all of the events that led to who they are and the elements of them that are still, you know, potentially very positive in nature, mm -hmm. is that it's not really about forgetting what they did. You Correct. Know? It's the whole forgiveness versus forget. Yep. And you can forgive somebody without forgetting what happened. Yep. And indeed, with having that thing that happened become very much a part of the tapestry of your relationship with somebody else. Mm -hmm. But it exists inside of that broader tapestry, particularly when we move into a full pardon with somebody and particularly when that is somebody who's going to be present in our life in a meaningful way from now mm -hmm. on which may not always be our preference, but sometimes that's just kind of the way it goes a little bit. And something I just want to reemphasize for a second is just that whatever the person did is not negated or excused by the circumstances of their life, by their pain, their loss, their stress, their whatever. Um, good people do bad things, bad people do bad things. Sometimes these are consequences of birth. 
Sometimes they are consequences of character. It's very, very challenging to disentangle these two things. You know, so ultimately, we do have to hold people responsible for their individual actions, even if their lives were horrible, horrible lives. They can still do horrible, horrible things. So I just want to kind of emphasize that for a moment. But a certain degree of compassion for the load that they carry in their own life can make it a lot easier to bring compassion to the actions that they took and to at least move into disentanglement for with them, if not a full pardon. So, Yeah, and... Um... If I could, I'll, I'll tell a story that you know that involves a next-door neighbor. Sure. And basically, when you know when you were young, uh, probably six or seven, roughly, our neighbor, who happened to be a, an older man uh, living alone in a house that was very, very run down next to us, um, had a very tall eucalyptus tree in his backyard mm. that just fell over one day and crushed the wooden fence between his property and ours, his house and ours, and fell across well over half the backyard. Mm. Once it had fallen, the tree was no longer hazardous, but it filled our backyard. And in terms of you and your sister, it was kind of creepy to me to worry about, well, could you get hurt? Could branches fall off it? It just was clearly something that should be gotten out of our yard. Well, I approached the man to do this many, many times, and he was very pleasant. He was a nice neighbor, and he didn't do anything. And uh, after gradually escalating and just trying to talk with him, I left him a letter that my insurance company, our insurance company, had said I ought to send him that said essentially that uh, our insurance company would be contacting him and uh, to, you know, and he would want to call his insurance company as well. Literally the next day, there was a work crew in our backyard with chainsaws removing the tree. Hmm. He did not pay to repair the fence. We just repaired the fence ourselves. I disengaged from being outraged by it and fantasizing about what a bad guy he was, but still it rankled in my heart. I wasn't at ease with it. And yet he was our neighbor. Mm -hmm. So a year or two went by and I began deliberately seeking to move into a full pardon for him. And what helped for us, just kind of like you said, is I started feeling my way, thinking about him as a lonely old guy. Nobody seemed to visit him. He didn't seem to have much money. And I just thought he was probably worried about money and upset about a lot of stuff. I also brought to mind how kind he was to you and Laurel. Mm. Uh, thanks at uh, Halloween when you went to his house, he'd always shower you with candy. Mm. And he was really delighted by the kids coming, coming by. And I thought about, um, you know, a line uh, later on, but it's applied back then, from the Buddha, who says, there are those who do not think they will die one day, but those who do know that they will die one day settle their quarrels. And I just wanted to settle my quarrel with him. So I started thinking about him as a whole person. I started putting what happened in perspective. Yes, it was a tree. Yes, it was a hassle. But compared to so many horrible things that have been done to people throughout history and currently, it was really trivial. And I needed to put it in perspective. And in that way, I really came to a full pardon. I was completely released about it. It was amusing. I'd let go of it. I really had moved on. And uh, when he did pass away a few years later, I was so glad at that point that um, I had made my peace with him. Mm. And I could tell as well that he wanted to make his peace with me. And I just felt good in myself that I had shifted to a peaceful place with him. And hopefully he could feel that as we lived side by side for some time.
Yeah, I think that's a really beautiful note to kind of semi-close on. To give maybe one final thought to just echo something that you were saying a second ago, part of this is it's about sort of taking a wider view. Just as our relationships with other people are made up of many, many, many events through time, our lives are made up of many, 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 many events through time. And any one of those events can certainly have a, a major impact on us. And it's not about you know, minimizing the effects of a traumatic experience in any way. But at the same time, it is ultimately just one piece of the overall tapestry of our lives. And sometimes, if it's possible to do this, taking that expansive view, thinking about the many good things that we have in our lives, the many benefits that we reap each day, the many wonderful people who are more than happy to be kind and forgiving to us, can really help us put any sort of negative experience with somebody else in perspective and sometimes aid us in moving toward a full pardon. That is really true. Great. So we've been going for a little while here, and I think that it's going to make sense for us to bring kind of this part of our discussion on forgiveness to a close. If you've been kind of tracking this closely, you might have noticed that we've sort of missed a very important part of the overall subject of forgiveness here. We've talked only about extending it toward other people, when the truth is that for many people, the hardest thing to forgive are things they themselves have done. Mm. So can we extend to ourselves the same forgiveness that we give to others? So we'll be coming out with an episode focused on that often very tricky topic very soon. I also want to take a moment at the end of this podcast here to mention Dr. Hansen's Foundations of Wellbeing online program, which I think we made reference to for a second earlier in the podcast. And today's actually one of the last days to receive the early bird discount for next year's program. It's a year-long program that covers each of the 12 strengths that we've covered in the podcast in much greater detail. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you will almost certainly love the program. In support of that, we'd also like to extend an additional special offer to listeners of the podcast. If you enter the code BEINGWELL10, At checkout, you'll receive an additional 10% off the purchase price. So, to recap today's episode, today we talked about forgiving others. We distinguished between two different types of forgiveness, full pardon and disentangled forgiveness. A full pardon being when you've really fully forgiven them for what happened, you've stepped out of any grievance, you've wiped the slate clean. Disentangled forgiveness being, honestly, in many ways, more a mechanism to free yourself from suffering around holding on to anger directed at another individual. As you said at one point in the podcast, it's kind of capital letters disentangled and then lowercase forgiveness at the end of it. So it's really more about stepping out of the war emotionally than it is about fully forgiving the other person for what they've done. But a certain element of forgiveness is required for that. We talked about ways to move into disentangled forgiveness, then talked about some of the tactics that you can use inside of your own mind if you're having a hard time getting into disentanglement. From there, we spoke about full pardon forgiveness, how you might know whether it's appropriate to move into a full pardon with somebody else, and then some ways or some kind of tactics inside the mind that you can use to support that extending of a full pardon toward another person. There were a few themes that we touched on throughout the podcast. The first one, to give one final emphasis to it, and I've said this probably already about three times, it's that there are really horrible things that happen to people, and it's really appropriate to be affected by them. And just because we offer some form, even a very minor, narrow form of forgiveness to another person, does not mean that we're forgetting what happened. 
And it does not mean that we are necessarily giving any kind of support, even tacit support for their actions, their behaviors, or their nature as a person. So I just want to kind of reemphasize that. And then secondarily, this idea of kind of putting things in perspective, whether putting it in the perspective of your relationship with that person, putting their actions in the perspective of their long life, or putting their actions in the perspective of your long life. And by doing any one of those three things, it can really aid us in moving toward forgiveness with somebody else. So I hope you'll join us again next time when we'll explore how we can learn to forgive ourselves as we've forgiven others. And until then, thanks for listening. 